This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. You're listening to Beyond Bizarre True Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, DNA ID, Zodiac Speaking, Scene of the Crime, and Three Men and a Mystery. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Bizarre True Crime. I'm your host, Bernadette, host and creator of the show Murderific True Crime Podcast. My favorite co-host is with me today. Her name is Rebecca. Hi, guys. In this episode, we will be talking about a case that is beyond bizarre. It's the case of Matthew Hoffman. Disclaimer for graphic content, including the rape of a child, animal cruelty, and gory details. But you like true crime, so you know what's in store for you. Welcome to the show. Matthew Hoffman was a robber, arsonist, kidnapper, pedophile, rapist, and ultimately a murderer with an obsession with trees and leaves. And yes, you heard that correctly. The 2010 crime that occurred happened in the state of Ohio. Was it a robbery gone wrong or a carefully planned crime to target a teenage girl? Let's begin with Matt Hoffman's history. He was born November 1st, 1980, son of Patricia and Robert Hoffman in Ohio. His mother described him as smart, but a bit rebellious. In 1997, Matthew's parents got a divorce and he moved with his mother to Mount Vernon area. Neighbors described him as strange, seeming lost and unhappy and not like other children. He graduated high school in 1999. By the year 2000, Hoffman was working as a plumber's helper, and he lived at the D-Bar K Motel in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. In September of 2000, he did some work on an expensive condo, and he knew the residents would be gone for a few days, so he let himself in. He used the jacuzzi, watched TV, and stole some items. 
he then decided to get rid of evidence he should burn the condo down. He used accelerant all through the building, which was gasoline, and he lit it on fire. 16 residents had to escape the building and flee for their lives. The fire also caused $2 million in damage to the Ridge condo complex. I can see going in and using the jacuzzi, but how did Matthew make that leap to, I'm going to burn this place down? Yeah, the escalation is extreme. You go in and take some items. Maybe there's camera footage. There might not be camera footage. He probably staked it out beforehand, but wipe items down. Wear gloves so there's no fingerprints. Not escalate to burning an entire building down. Yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Which makes me think that that could have been his intent. Maybe. Yeah. Police figured out two weeks prior that a man named Matthew Hoffman had worked for Scott Barnes Plumbing and had worked in Unit Number 7, right where the fire had started. When authorities checked where Matt used to live at the motel, they found three stolen signs from the city of Steamboat Springs. When the police tracked Matthew down, now in another state, they simply said, be here in Colorado by September 27, 2000, or we will come get you. On September 26, Matthew came back to be questioned and admitted to stealing the welcome to steamboat signs. After being given his Miranda rights, he was asked about the fire in the condo and why his fingerprints would be all over the white Chevrolet Suburban that had been stolen from the condo number seven and also just happened to have stolen property in it. Matthew admitted to everything he had done at this point without a lawyer present. Hoffman pled guilty to five counts, including arson, unlawfully and knowingly breaking and entering, first-degree motor vehicle theft, theft of property, and reckless endangerment of the lives of the people in the condo when he started the fire. I mean, that definitely is reckless endangerment. There were people living in the condo. It's very short-sighted to be like, I'm going to get rid of this evidence, but I might kill 16 people. And we talk about victimless crimes a lot. This is not a victimless crime. You have to think about People getting displaced from their homes, all their property, getting ruined, getting burned, possibly losing jobs, homelessness, like all of those things come into play when arson happens. That's a terrible crime. On January 5th, 2001, he was given a sentence of eight years in prison, minus the 102 days he had already served. Hoffman told the judge he would try to become a better person. He basically says he's going to learn from this experience which is what everyone says. That's what I say. (laughs) Matthew served six out of the eight years, and he was out of prison and back in Ohio in 2007. By 2009, he had gotten a tree-trimming job, a girlfriend. He bought a house in Mount Vernon, and his girlfriend and son moved in. But Matthew soon became moody and more weird. It's been said he started setting squirrel traps in his yard, and he would catch them and barbecue them. The next-door neighbor, Donna, used to let her children play at the Hoffman home, but one time Matthew took her daughter home from school. He took some back roads with the 14-year-old instead of the direct roads home. Understandably, the neighbor stopped going to the Hoffman home. That's unbelievable. If someone took my kid home and then a girl and was going on back roads, I would be very frightened and that would be the last time he would be near my kids. It's hard because as people who listen to true crime podcasts, you automatically assume the worst. Yeah, I'm sure he had the worst intentions. But in this case, I do feel like he did have terrible intentions. And that's always the beginning of crime, right? You start small and you escalate. Huffman began climbing up trees on his property and just sitting there for hours at a time. He also began sleeping outside. 
the relationship with his girlfriend began to fall apart due to his odd and controlling behaviors. She took her son and left him. One day she came to get the rest of her belongings and a fight started between the two, ending with Matthew assaulting his girlfriend. The police reports state, quote, We were in the living room talking and he got upset and pushed me against a wall. He had his forearm up against my neck and was choking me. I got loose, but he grabbed me again and we tumbled over a chair to the floor. I was fighting to try to get him off me, but he choked me on the ground, unquote. Though she did report what happened to authorities, she decided to not press charges. And we see that happens a lot for many, many reasons, but their relationship was over, over now. In October of 2010, Matthew was fired from his tree trimming job due to the fact that he had neglected to tell them that he had been in prison for arson, something most employers might like to know. By November, he had no money, no girlfriend, no job, no oil in his gas tank, and Ohio winters are cold. Matthew Hoffman was angry, angry at the world. Matthew had a plan to break into a home and steal some things, and he had a place in mind a place on Kings Beach Drive in the town of Howard, Ohio. He knew that the garage didn't shut all the way, and the house sat alone across from Woods. It seemed Matthew had already cased this home. Well, obviously, he must have been stalking this house out because he knew about the garage. It's an easy, easy in. On November 9, 2010, Matthew Hoffman set up camp across from this upper-class neighborhood home Tina Harriman's home, where she resided with her daughter, Sarah Maynard, and her son, Cody. Sarah was 13, and Cody was age 11. Tina was a hard worker and a caring mom who was always at her children's sports events. Sarah was into softball and was athletic, and Cody was a pitcher on his baseball team. He also liked playing guitar and was a good student. Tina had a best friend who lived two houses away, named Stephanie Sprang. Tina and Stephanie would watch each other's kids. They liked shopping together. Stephanie had three children of her own, and they often all hung out together. I bring up Stephanie because she will be in the story later. Back to Matthew, sitting across the street of Tina's home with his sleeping bag, to see when people were coming and going from the home, seeing when he could strike. On the morning of November 10, 2010, Tina's boyfriend Greg Borders left to go to work at 3 a.m., Greg had plans to be gone for a couple days. He was going to sleep at a friend's house and do some golfing. Then Sarah and Cody left the home in the morning to go to East Knox Middle School. Tina the mom had plans to go apartment hunting later in the day with her best friend Stephanie Sprang. Tina and her boyfriend were actually in the process of breaking up, but he still lived in the home. Tina left her house around 9.30 to go grocery shopping after she put her kids on the bus. She went to get gas and ran some other errands. She was back at her home before noon. As she walked in with her bag of groceries, Matthew Hoffman, who had broken into her home while she was gone, ran down the hallway and grabbed Tina. He dragged her into the master bedroom and began hitting her with what's known as a blackjack. Um, what's a blackjack? Uh, blackjack is like the weapon you see police carrying. It's made of metal, wood, plastic. It has like a little handle. So his intention was to knock her out, but the blackjack was not effective, and he stabbed Tina with a hunting knife. He stabbed her two times in the back, but little did Matthew know that Stephanie, Tina's best friend, 
had also entered in the house and into the bedroom in the middle of the assault, finding Matthew stabbing Tina. I'm sure Matthew was not expecting that in this scenario. Since at this point we only have Matthew's account of what happened, Stephanie ran or was dragged to Sarah's bedroom, where she too was stabbed two times. She was stabbed in the chest, most likely she was facing him, trying to fight him off. Stephanie died instantly, but Hoffman did not stop, stabbing her many more times until blood covered the wall and the floor and the room. He then went back to where Tina lay dying, and he stabbed her over and over, hitting all of her major organs and ripping her body open, unleashing his rage on her, his rage over his failed life. Tina had defensive wounds on her hands. She also was wounded in her thigh, and he cut her from chest to torso with the hunting knife, and it was 14 inches long. The knife? Yeah. That is a lot of rage. Then Matthew, with his hunting skills, dismembered Tina's body in the bathtub. He cut her body apart at the joints and put Tina's body in small plastic trash bags he found in the home. These are not industrial trash bags that you put leaves in. They're small, garbage pail garbage bags. So he had to work with what was in the home. Yes. And in his confession, when he describes dismembering her, he's breaking down her body with a knife breaking down the joints from the body. So breaking down the neck, the shoulders, the hips, the knees, like it's horrifying. The dog in the house named Terry, a miniature pincher, had seen everything that had happened and he would not stop barking. Matthew, afraid someone would hear, killed the dog and also dismembered the dog's body in the bathtub. Um, why dismember the dog? Why do it? It's such a small, it's such a small dog. This to me, sounds like a very frenzied event. Yes. Like everything was happening and just kept happening and he just was reacting. I think he had intent and then a bunch of stuff, like you said, that he wasn't expecting happened and he's just reacting. Like you said, frenzied. He then began to process Stephanie's body, which are his words, not ours, putting her body parts in the small garbage bags as well. The bathroom was now covered in blood. Hoffman wanted to cover his tracks literally, and poured motor oil over where most of the blood was in the home. His plan was to burn the whole house down, just like he had done in Colorado years before. But he paced the home for hours, trying to figure out what to do next. He had something more sinister in mind, if that's even possible. In the afternoon, Sarah and Cody got off the school bus and walked into their home. It was very quiet, and the kids noticed blood near the door. Their mom usually came out to say hello, but this day she did not. Just then, Matthew came running down the hall with a knife. Cody tried to run out the door, and Sarah ran into her bedroom, trying to get to her phone. Hoffman stabbed Cody in the back of his head, and then two more times, just to make sure he was dead. And Matthew then ran to get Sarah, who had no idea what had happened to her brother. Matthew bound Sarah with the wire from a fan, bound her hands and legs and gagged her, and then put a pillowcase over her head. For hours, she could hear water running in the bathroom and the toilet being flushed over and over. Sarah noticed her dog wasn't barking. After what felt like forever, Matthew blindfolded Sarah and put her inside of Stephanie's Jeep. She could tell there were trash bags beside her, and she knew that it was now dark outside. This story gets a little bit convoluted here because... 
he's trying to cover his tracks and he's going from vehicle to vehicle and trying to get rid of bodies, so bear with us. Matthew got out and was gone for about an hour, and this was in an empty parking lot. He got his Toyota Yaris, put Sarah in the vehicle along with the garbage bags, and went to his house on Columbus Road. He then put Sarah in the bathroom of his home and took her blindfold off. There were doodles on the walls, including jack-o'-lanterns and peace signs, and there was a doodle of a bald man, and coming out of his mouth was the real bathroom faucet. Also, there were hundreds of leaf bags, from the floor to the ceilings, which Matthew said was insulation. Matthew then left to dispose of the bodies, telling Sarah someone would be watching her. He went to get Stephanie's Jeep and went to a nature preserve. He went to this preserve with his tree climbing gear and put the bodies where he thought no one would ever find them. We'll get to that in a few. He also stopped at Walmart to get a tarp and more garbage bags that night. He paid in cash, and everyone knows Walmart has cameras. While he was there, he also got a turkey sandwich. What else did he get? A discounted Halloween shirt. He drove the Jeep back to the King Beach house and got the pickup truck that was there. But the pickup truck was having issues. He basically couldn't get it into gear, and he abandoned it. He may have wanted to burn the house down, but was so tired... He just walked hours to get back to his Yaris. As in most murders, Matthew had made many mistakes. He had left the Walmart receipt for the garbage bags and tarps he bought that night inside of Tina's garage. And he never burned the house down as he had planned. That's a pretty big mistake, I must say. Leaving receipts of the stuff you bought inside the home of people you murdered. And then not burning it down to cover it. That's huge. Matthew returned to his home and brought Sarah to the windowless, dark, cold basement. He put her in a bed that he made out of leaves. And also remember, Sarah's 13 years old, and she must have been terrified. Her mindset was she wanted to live, and she decided to comply, which probably saved her life. Mm -hmm. Hoffman would sometimes sleep with her. Sarah was raped many times while she was there. When she was being held hostage, she was starving. Matthew offered her cooked squirrel, but Sarah said no. He gave her cereal with sour milk, and she tried to choke that down. Sarah was not allowed to shower. Tina and eventually Stephanie had welfare checks done on their homes, as Tina didn't show up for work at Dairy Queen, and Stephanie also was missing. The kids didn't go to school the next day. The police knocked on Tina's house twice and Stephanie's once doing welfare checks, but they did not go in. Tina's manager, Valerie, and Stephanie's boyfriend, Ron Metcalf, went to Tina's home. Valerie went inside of a window and saw blood on the hallway carpet and in the living room. When police went into the home, they found blood everywhere. Blood in the bathtub, bloody drag marks, and blood in the basement. Stephanie's Jeep was also in the garage. There was motor oil everywhere in the home. Authorities first spoke to Greg Borders, as he was Tina's boyfriend and the relationship was ending. They checked Greg physically for bodily cuts or scratches, but he had none. Police found Tina's pickup abandoned in a parking lot, and they processed the pickup for evidence. They also were checking the home for more evidence. As they were in the home with crime scene tape all around, Matthew Hoffman was across the street spying on them. What a creep. He grabbed 
the hat and knife that he had left behind and went home where he burned his bloody tennis shoes and clothes in a backyard fire. Revisiting the scene to me is so creepy. It's like top level psychopath. Authorities had found the Walmart bag and receipts for tarps and garbage bags. They asked Walmart to check their records and they found video of a man with a medium build Caucasian who had driven away in a silver Toyota Yaris. All the Yaris's were checked in the area and Matt Hoffman owned one. In his license photo, he would be wearing a camo shirt, the same camo shirt he wore that night in Walmart. The same Matthew Hoffman police had actually seen loitering in the area that night. Now they had a suspect. So that night when police saw the Yaris loitering, they went up to him and they were like, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, I'm waiting for my girlfriend. And they said, oh, what's your girlfriend's name? And he said, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And then they said, what's your girlfriend's last name? And he couldn't think of it. Yeah. And so he said it was a new relationship. But this all went into a police log. Police obtained a no-knock warrant on November 14th, 2010. A SWAT team went in with flashbangs and Matthew would be there sleeping on the couch. As they went in, they found a room literally filled three feet deep in leaves. Police also found the living room filled floor to ceiling with leaf bags. The bathroom had 110 bags of leaves. An interesting note, Matthew's ex-girlfriend said that the leaves were not in the home when she had moved out only weeks earlier, which means he had spent weeks filling his home with leaf bags. Yeah, because there are hundreds of bags in the home. Matthew was taken out of the home and the officers found Sarah lying down on her leaf bed in the basement. She was bound and she had on a makeshift plastic bag diaper because Matthew had not allowed her to use the bathroom. Her jeans were wet with pee. The first thing Sarah said to officers was, quote, I have to get to school, unquote. So she was very much in shock. Police would find dead frozen squirrels in Matthew's freezer along with red popsicles Sarah would be taken to the hospital, and she was given a victim advocate to give her the horrible, horrible news about her family. Sarah had only wanted to see her father, Larry Maynard, who was so happy his daughter was alive. But still, where was his son Cody? Where was his ex-Tina and her best friend Stephanie? When police processed Matthew's home, they found the knife used in the crimes, a camera with Sarah's photos in them. Matthew had been arrested for the kidnapping of Sarah at this point. They obtained his DNA and began questioning him for hours, and he didn't say a word, when asked where Tina, Cody, and Stephanie were. He finally broke and came up with a bizarre story that he had found Sarah in his home and took care of her, and that was all that he said. On November 16, 2010, Hoffman finally said he would write a note saying where the victims were, only if police would shoot him, in a pretend escape. The police did not agree to that, and the search went on to find the victims. Hoffman told police, I'm a monster and I can't live with what I've done. I want to die. I've seen horrible cut-up things. Hoffman was given a suicide gown so he would not hurt himself in prison. The families were still holding out hope that maybe Stephanie, Tina, and Cody might be alive. But hope faded on November 18, 2010, when Matthew Hoffman signed a document saying he would say where the victims were only if the death penalty was off the table. So now he was trying to save his own skin and he changed his mind about dying. 
Authorities went to the wildlife area near Fredericton in Knox County. A map was given to them by Hoffman. They drove for about half a mile, then walked into the woods and found a tree with a large opening. The tree was 60 to 70 feet tall. 50 feet up on the tree, it split and there was a large opening. Inside the tree, it was hollow to the ground. Inside, they found many small garbage bags holding the dismembered remains of Stephanie, Tina, Cody, and even the dog, Terry. The tree had to be cut into as carefully as they could to get the victims out. The families, understandably, were devastated. Matthew's weird and bizarre tree sexual fetish even had a part in where the bodies were found. Matthew gave a very detailed confession and pled guilty to aggravated murder, burglary, kidnapping, rape on January 6, 2011. He was sentenced to life with no parole for the murders of Stephanie Sprang, Tina Harriman, and Cody Maynard. And he's being held in Toledo Correctional Institution. When impact statements were read in court by family and friends, Sarah, the lone survivor, gave a statement in court. It was read aloud by a prosecutor saying, we'll read some of it here. Quote, this is so sickening, Matthew, to know you had the guts to do this to the family. Stephanie was a great woman, too. All I'm thinking about is how sick and disgusting you are. I will never forget about Cody and my mom, Tina. I think Matthew is really stupid for killing the dog, too. What could we have done possibly to you, Matthew, to be treated like this? I'm very thankful for the guys who worked so hard to find me. I don't know if you thought you were going to get away with this, but luckily you didn't. I think Matthew was purposefully trying to scare me and my family, but I'm not scared of you, Matthew. I'm going to stand up for myself and live my life, unquote. This is such a strong little girl that was put in this horrible situation because of the selfish acts of Matthew Hoffman. She really is a survivor, and she's actually written a book about her experience. You'll find the title in the show notes. Matthew's home was foreclosed on, and it was donated to Habitat for Humanity. The hollowed-out tree was destroyed, and an interesting note was that Hoffman asked that the tree would not be destroyed, but ultimately it was. Yes, when he confessed, one of his requirements was that the tree never be destroyed. And then the police after were like, we're going to get rid of this because it's just going to become a morbid attraction. I want to talk about the act of Matthew actually getting these bodies into the tree. We told you that the tree was between 50 and 70 feet tall, and it was hollowed out. So Matthew had to have scoped this out before. Oh, yeah. And he's 6'1", he's 185. He's a big guy. To get to the top of this tree, he's an arborist. You need so many tools. You need ropes, pulleys. A lot of times they use those stickers in their feet so they can climb the tree. Yep, or the spikes. Yep, that's what I'm talking about. He's climbing a tree, carrying bags of body parts up a tree and depositing them. Like that act in itself is super horrifying. And also shows a previous intent. And shows a a lot of strength. And absolutely a previous intent. He had to have found this tree and been like, this is the perfect spot. Yep. It's truly horrifying. It's bizarre and terrifying. And that brings us to the end of another Beyond Bizarre True Crime podcast. I hope you will find my show Murderific True Crime Podcast and click subscribe. You can find Murderific on any podcast platform. 
And follow me, Bernadette, on Instagram at Murderific Podcast. On Murderific, we cover many true crime stories from New England and Maine. We enjoy the lesser known cases. We do talk serial killers, mass murderers, and domestic violence. I have occasional guests, including the guest on the show, Rebecca. She's a fan favorite. Remember, murder and horrific equal murderific. Be sure to tune in for the next episode of Beyond Bizarre True Crime, which will be hosted by Alicia and Sierra from Twisted and Uncorked. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Beyond Bizarre True Crime is produced by Mike Morford and Jess Betancourt for Abjack Entertainment with music by Connor Betancourt. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to subscribe wherever you are listening now. And please take a moment to rate and review the show. You can find Beyond Bizarre True Crime on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Beyond Bizarre TC. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Beyond Bizarre True Crime Podcast. The views and opinions of the hosts and guests on Beyond Bizarre True Crime do not necessarily represent those of the show's creators, producers, or sponsors. Be sure to tune in on Saturdays for all new episodes of Beyond Bizarre True Crime. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.